0: The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, let's open them up to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. We're gonna be in chapter eight today. Uh, if you're with us in person, there are Bibles under every single chair. You can grab one of those and open them up to 813. 813 is Matthew chapter eight. You can open a phone or a tablet. If you're online with us, you can Google uh, Matthew chapter eight. Uh, I want you to see this. So, so get your hands on the text today, okay? Uh, as you're turning there, I, I recently did a little car shopping. Okay, which is something I don't do very often, right? Like my tax bracket does not allow me to do that very often. So, I'm but I was doing it. Okay, uh, most vehicles that I've had up to this point have been hand-me-down vehicles. All right. So, for like lately, I have been driving a 1999 Toyota 4Runner. Right. All right. It was a heck of a vehicle, heck of a motor carriage. Okay. Uh, father-in-law bought it, mother-in-law drove it, my wife drove it, I drove it, and killed it. Okay. Uh, but, but I loved it. It was camel Brown, camel Brown. We, we, we said it was camel poop Brown. That's a, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say poop elder check. I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Okay. Elder, elder said, okay. Uh, I, I named, I named it Charlie. I named it Charlie, Charlie Brown. That's, uh, how that worked. Okay. Uh, but, but I just need you to know this vehicle was built in the 1900s. Okay, let's keep this all together. When, when people younger than me would get into the 99 forerunner, sometimes they would laugh at me. They would literally like laugh out loud. I think Kyle, maybe the first time he got in, laughed at me, okay? Because, because Charlie Brown, listen, which was built last millennium, mind you, okay? Charlie Brown did not have a plug for an iPhone, Right? Didn't have a plug for an iPhone. Goodness, it's, it's light years away from a Bluetooth connection. All right? so, so, so if I wanted to listen to music or a podcast on my phone, uh, I had to kind of buy this little miracle device called a cassette tape adapter. You remember these things? I had one of these in Charlie, and people would laugh at me. Alright, people would laugh So here's what it is It's a little cassette tape uh, Which if you're under 25, okay If you're under 25 uh, There used to be these things called cassettes Alright, cassettes uh, These were the, It was music Alright, it was Get your mind around this It was music recorded on miles of durable analog tape Sometimes you would find it strewn about in bushes or in gutters, okay? Everywhere. Tape used to be everywhere. I don't know how it got there, but it was, okay? But the the cassette tape would go into my tape deck, okay? And a cable would hang out that I would plug plug into the headphone jack uh, of my iPhone. Ghetto. All right? Let's just be real. That was sketchy, okay? Well, uh, Charlie got totaled. Eh, Single tier. Charlie... Charlie was totaled in an accident, and uh, we decided it was time to retire Charlie and get me a new whip, okay? So, uh, so I'm doing a little car shopping online, all right? I'm doing a little car shopping online. Uh, wait, if you're over 65, okay, there's this thing called the internet, all right? <laughs> and on this thing called the internet, there are websites, and, and, and I don't know if you— Do you remember going to car lots? Remember you used to go to car lots? It's like that, but on a screen, okay? That's essentially what I'm doing. And so I'm online, and and on this website, you can create the car, the vehicle that you want. Like, you can create it, and so, like, all the features, you click it, and it adds it to the vehicle. So I'm clicking all these features. You choose the color. I want that color, right? And uh, do I want the off? It says, do you want the off-road package? And I said, well, when was the last time I went off-roading? Probably in the 1900s. (laughs) Yeah, I might need that So, and I, yeah, of course add, Absolutely, I want the off-road package So I'm just building this thing out And at the end of the process Where I'm expecting then to see the price Like all of these packages What's the price going to be? It doesn't show the cost, okay? Instead, it says, call for pricing Which is the biggest bait and switch I've ever been a part of, right? Okay, so, uh, but how many of you know That when the prices aren't even listed You don't want to know Right, you ever been to a store that doesn't have prices on? You're just like, no, this is way too rich for me. I can't do this. I need something that's gonna be like $3.99 with a green sticker that means it's half off. Like that's what I need, okay? So I I'm I'm new at this. I called the guy on the phone. I, I called the dealership and I'm like, okay, it says uh what you know, ask for price, and 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 so he he told me the price. And I was like, oh. Like I was hit with it. Like, wow, that was, I mean, I don't do this often, but dang, that was something. And so on the phone with the dealership, I asked this question. It's the same question we all ask. Okay. And here's the question. Is that your best price? And the guy on the phone laughed at me. He laughed out loud at me. Apparently cars are expensive. All right, so he laughs at me. I did not buy from him, by the way. Uh, but then I had to go back online and I had to remove some of those options from the truck that I was looking at because I wasn't willing or ready to pay the price for that truck. Okay. T- today's sermon is called "Is That Your Best Price." That's a that's a title of today's, is, with an inflection. Is that your best price? what I want to talk to us about from from Matthew chapter eight is the idea that many of us want to follow Jesus. But the question is, are we willing to pay the price that he sets? All right, like, are we willing to pay the price to follow Jesus? You know, it costs something to follow Jesus. And frankly, I think we often want to try and haggle with him a little bit. We want to barter with him a little bit. We don't want to treat our relationship with Jesus like a flea market. We want to just say, Jesus, I know you said that, but is that your best price? Certainly you didn't mean that, did you? Is that your best price? But I want to argue that if we actually want to follow Jesus, he asks us to count the cost and to pay the price that he sets. There is no bartering. There is no haggling. There is no questioning. It is His way or literally the highway, okay? You see, what you're gonna discover about Jesus' teaching is that he makes it very clear that following him is extremely costly. Extremely costly. Like he doesn't sugarcoat his message. He wants you to understand that yes, salvation is free. It is a free gift. Salvation is free, but it is not cheap. Grace, faith, free gift, but it's not cheap. It'll cost you something. So let's look at our text today. Okay, Matthew chapter 8. We're going to see a couple of guys essentially asking Jesus the same question. Is that your best price? That's essentially what these guys are doing. So Matthew 8, look at verse 18. Here's where we're going to start. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, verse 19. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. So this is the first man that approaches Jesus. This is an interesting guy to show up at this point because he's a scribe. The text says that he's a scribe who shows up. Now in the Bible, a scribe is an educated interpreter of both Jewish customs and laws. Okay, so think like a scholar. That's what a scribe is, a scholar or a seminarian, even, even a teacher of the law. Okay, sometimes, and we'll see this more in Matthew, but sometimes these are uh, the, the scribes are posed as, as opponents to Jesus, as kind of like the antithesis to Jesus. But this scribe, he seems to be a potential disciple. That's what seems to be here, okay? Not an antagonist here to trap Jesus, but, but rather uh, somebody who's actually wanting to seek and follow Jesus. And this gives Jesus an opportunity to teach about like what real discipleship must entail. So this guy comes out of the gate saying things that would make any potential rabbi feel great because he says, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Man, that's the right thing to say. That's the right thing. It would seem this scribe is offering complete loyalty out the gate, right? I'll I'll go anywhere. I'll follow you anywhere. Essentially, I'll pay whatever price you set. You name your price, Jesus, and I'm going with you. Now, here's the thing. In Jewish culture, uh, in practice at this time, a disciple would choose the rabbi whom they would follow. A disciple would choose the rabbi. Okay, so this scribe has likely examined multiple options, multiple rabbis, uh, and, and selected Jesus as the one he wants to follow, as the one he wants to disciple under, as the one he wants to mimic his life after. Uh, kind of like how we 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 choose in high school. We choose colleges. High school students will kind of choose colleges that they want to go to, and then they decide and they apply, and then they you know send in their application. So it's like I'm writing my application to Harvard or to Yale. Or or to CCU, the Harvard of the West, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, and, then, and then they apply, they choose, they apply, and they are either accepted or rejected by the school. And, and so, so this guy is essentially saying, hey, Jesus, I'm picking you. I'm picking you as the college of choice. I want to follow you. But, but hear me, Jesus functions differently than, than the way that Jewish discipling worked at this time Because in the gospels, it's Jesus who calls his disciples, not the disciples who choose him. That's a unique difference here. So look at his response in, in verse 20. Jesus says to the scribe, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Okay. To our eyes to my eyes at least, this scribe looks like he, he, he had what it took, like to count the cost and to follow Jesus. But, but, but Christ obviously sees some sort of half-heartedness in his commitment, okay? Because Jesus then to his hey, his right response, I'll go wherever, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. His response is illustrating by, by saying kind of, he's showing the extent one must go to be his follower by pointing out that like animals, creatures, they have homes. But, but Jesus, the son of man, he doesn't really have a place to lay his head. He has no such home. And Jesus is essentially challenging the man's statement. I'll go wherever. I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus, with, okay, um, will you go this far? I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. Well, well, will you go here? Will you go here with me? See, he doesn't want shallow commitments. Jesus demands that the one who truly follows him counts the cost, and makes a radical commitment. Because you see, in, in, in those days, uh, a lot of people followed Jesus because of what he could do for them. he was very tempting to follow Jesus because, man, that dude could do some legit stuff, right? Like, I mean, think about this. He's a miracle worker. He can heal the sick. He can calm storms. He can multiply food, bread, and fish. Like, I mean, that feels pretty good. I'd follow that guy. Man, his teachings brought people comfort. Oh, I love that one about the prodigal son. Mm. The way his father welcomed him home, it's like chicken soup for the soul, right? Oh, and I just love the way that he says that he can count the number of hairs on my head. It just makes me feel good on the inside, right? Like that's, of course you want to follow that guy. Like a big teddy bear hugging you. And then there were some in this time who, who were like, I think this guy, religious students and even sometimes teachers who wanted to follow Jesus because it was a way of substantiating their own authority right? Like building their own resumes. You see, in these days, you didn't just get to be credible as a teacher. You had to yoke yourself to another rabbi, attach yourself to a famous teacher of the law to establish your own legit ministry. So many followed Jesus for many different reasons, self-centered reasons. Thank goodness that we have moved past that in modern times. Nobody follows Jesus for what he does for us anymore, right? Obviously, that's not the case. I mean, many people come to Jesus because they know he can help them in their marriage. We're having a marriage class today. Yeah, he can, right? He can bless their finances. He can relieve their burdens. He can make them successful, sometimes even healing their ailments, their bodies. And yet Jesus can and does all these things. But this is the question that he's posing, Okay. What if obedience to Jesus leads you away from all of those things? Still want to follow? That's, that's the question at hand here. What if he leads you to a place where you don't even have a place to lay your head down? Are you following Jesus for, for comfort or, or for the cross? he's teaching us in these verses that, that if following Jesus leads you away from even having a place to call home, are you still on board? Are you still on team Jesus? Is he enough even without your comforts? Jesus was not into follow me for your best life now kind of invitations, no matter what the best selling list tells you. He he was more into, I'm enough for you, even if you have your worst life now. That's his invitation. So the first man was promising too much and Jesus calls him on it. I'll pay whatever price. And he's like, you sure? You sure? He hasn't counted the cost, but the next man is different. Okay, look at verse 21. Another man shows up. Another of the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Okay. So it says, not that this guy is a scribe, man number two is a disciple. All right, that's what it says. Okay, who's essentially at this part, part of the larger circle of people following Jesus, okay? At this point, all 12 disciples have not been called. Some have, some have not. So the 12 disciples who will become the 12 apostles have not been called. So he's using disciple here as kind of generally people who are following Jesus right now. That's who he's talking about. So maybe this guy has heard him uh, preach the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe he's witnessed him uh, do some divine miracles, some healings, whatever it is, he's a disciple. He's a follower. He's following Jesus but now he wants to make a more official kind of pledge to Jesus. He's been listening to his teaching and now he's ready to commit. He's ready to say, I'm in with you, Jesus, but he has a qualifier, right? That's what he says. He, he, he wants to go and bury his father. Now this is tricky. Okay. Because we don't know at what stage his father is we don't know. Okay. So maybe he's near death. Maybe he's already dead. Okay. If his dad's already dead, he might be asking for three or four hours. If dad's not doing so hot, maybe he's, maybe he's asking him for a year or two to care for his elderly father. Listen, which is biblical. It's prescribed in the old Testament. So So maybe that's happening. Uh, Additionally, some scholars project that maybe dad isn't even close to death, but it had nothing to do with going to dad's funeral or caring for him in his old age, but maybe it was about trying to obtain his inheritance, which he never would have gotten if he had left home. He had to stay there and be the son. Think the prodigal son story. Dad, I demand my inheritance before you're dead. That doesn't happen, okay? So maybe... He's there. He wanted to follow Jesus, but maybe he also wanted his inheritance. I think that's maybe more likely. I don't know for sure. That's all conjecture. But this might be a valid request. It might be, hey, I got to take care of dad. I got to bury dad. I got to, he's very elderly. I gotta, or maybe he's a bit greedy. And he's like, I just need the cash. I need the security. I need the land. I want that. And then I'll follow you, Jesus. But, but I think it's probably the latter because it makes Jesus' statement make a bit more sense because verse 22 is shocking. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. I mean, what does that mean? Like, what is going on here? Jesus, his first response was shocking. This is even more shocking than the first one. Bro, can't even get his dad into the grave. Jesus, how heartless are you? Don't you care about the Old Testament law? Didn't you just say in Matthew 5, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law? Like, what's going on with this? Jesus? See, I think what's going on here is he's doing something that he does often and it's intentional. And it's that Jesus often uses sayings like this as kind of a shock value, like a hard punch to the gut. And, he, and here, I think he wants to demonstrate that the extent of a total commitment to himself takes absolute priority even over the greatest of obligations, even to one's parents. I guess what he's doing. He says other similar things like this uh, in Luke 14. I'll put it on the screen. Luke 14, 26 says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, like that's a long list. Maybe hate one or two of them, but all of them? And his, yes, his, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, these sayings like that and like what we just read, they seem really harsh. This isn't chicken soup for the soul, Jesus. This is like mean Jesus. Jesus, I got to hate my family? I can't even bury my dad? This seems pretty harsh, Jesus. If this is the price you're setting, maybe I can't pay it as I'm researching this week, pastor and scholar, Tim Keller, he calls this comparative hate, not active hate. And this was helpful for me. Let me explain this. We aren't to hate our family actively, but comparatively. Okay, so so, so you wanna know the price of following Jesus. It is devotion and love and obedience and reverence that makes every other relationship in life comparatively, look like hate. He, he, J.D. Greer, Pastor J.D. Greer uses an illustration like this. I loved it. Uh, he says, if you have a pet, okay, imagine, uh, imagine if you have a pet, if you're a pet person, uh, imagine you love your pet. You, you probably love, unless it's a cat, right? If it's a cat, you're just waiting for it to die, right? You're just waiting for it to die so that you can get a real pet, right? Like, like a dog or a hamster, a lizard, anything. Okay, anything but a cat, okay? But uh, imagine imagine you love your pet. You love it. You're committed to it. Goodness, some of us spend a lot of money on our pets, feeding them and grooming them and clothing them. Ugh. If they're in your family pictures, you got a problem, right? Okay, so some of you are, are committed to your pet, but I would imagine that as committed as you are to your pet Your your love for your pet pales in comparison to the love that you have for your children or for your spouse or for your best friend. And if you had to think about that, again, problem, all right? It's not good. See, for most of us, if you had some situation where you could choose between the well being of your pet or the life of your kid, it's no contest. It's no contest. You love your pet. You're committed to your pet, but compared to the intensity of the commitment you have to your child, your commitment to your pet seems like hate. Bootsy is going in the ground if it's between her and your kid. That's right. He's not called, listen, Jesus isn't calling you to hate your mom and dad. That breaks one of the 10 commandments, yo. You follow me there? Jesus isn't like, hey, you know what? Number six doesn't matter. It's not number six, I don't even know, okay? But he's not calling you to hate your mom and dad. He's not calling you to, to neglect your family as they die. Jesus is saying, listen, if you wanna be my follower, the price of, of, of me, of following me is loyalty over everything. Your love for me will make every other love in your life look like hate comparatively, and here's the greatest irony. Loving Jesus that way will actually make your love for your family deeper and more meaningful. There's the irony. See, the first man, he, the scribe, he promises too much. I'll follow you wherever, Jesus, and, and he can't deliver on that promise. But the second man, he promises far too little, far too little, What he does not want to sacrifice, he's unwilling to part with. He wanted to follow Jesus, but but he didn't want to give up that inheritance. So he asks, hey, is that your best price, Jesus? Hey, I want to follow you, but let me me deal with this. Is that your best price? Can we negotiate a little bit here? But Jesus says, you got to be willing to give that up. Here's my question for us are there any limits to your obedience to Christ? Please don't take that question lightly because I can think of some things that come pretty close. Is there any place where you would say, I can't, no, no, I won't. I will not walk away from this Jesus. More practically maybe, is, is there... Is there anything that you know that God's told you to stop doing that you're still doing? That's called sin. Some relationship, some habit, I don't know what it is. Or is there anything that he's told you to start doing that you're not doing yet? That's called disobedience. And guess what? That's called sin. Maybe it's tithing or generosity. Maybe it's obedience to some call that he's placed on your life. Maybe it's engaging in in serving in some ministry capacity. It could be, listen, it could be something as simple as as just belonging and, and engaging and committing to a church. I don't know. A follower of Jesus has forsaken all that Jesus has forbidden and begun practicing all that he has commanded. I'll say that again. follower of Jesus has forsaken all that Jesus has forbidden and begun practicing all that Jesus has commanded. Not perfectly, but progressively. Not perfection, but progression. So here's the illustration. Okay. You see, when I was uh, 15 years old, I got my driver's permit. Some kids aren't ready for their driver's permit at 16. I couldn't wait I wanted the driver's permit, okay? Uh, and so my parents uh, let me get my driver's permit at 15, uh, but I had to enroll in driving ed. It was called Master Drive in Colorado Springs. is in Denver too, I think. But uh, Master Drive, it was the driving class in my area. It was a series of classes, courses that you took, book work, videos, okay? But it also included on-street lessons with a driving instructor. That's how Master Drive worked. I'm assuming that's how most driving schools work, okay? So we would drive uh, those on-streets in one of their cars, one of the master drive cars, which were at the time, mid nineties PT cruisers. Okay, hot. It was a hot, hot ride there. Okay, all blinged out with master drive logos so that you knew where you were driving, right? You were driving next to a master drive student. Okay, and they were dinged up all over the place. I don't understand why, okay? But I never felt dumber than driving a red PT cruiser with master drive plastered on the side. If you drive a red PT cruiser, I offer free counseling, okay? Um, so, so now here's the master drive car. I get in the master drive car. They're completely normal cars. They are completely ordinary vehicles with one exception, okay? Uh, I'd drive in the driver's seat. The instructor, she would get in on the passenger side, and they were all the same except for they had installed one pedal on the passenger side, a brake, an additional brake pedal for the instructor, okay? And so we're out doing our on-street instructions, and the question is this, who's in charge of this vehicle? Like, who's who's in charge? I mean, I it was me, right? Like, I was in charge. I was the one driving. Okay, I had the gas pedal. I had this. I had the shifter knob. I had a brake. Like, I was in charge, mostly. Mostly, but But anytime the instructor wanted to, she could override and veto every decision by just slamming on that brake. And she did so. And I didn't deserve it all the time, okay? (laughs) Listen, many of you are driving around with Jesus. And the question is this who owns the brake pedal? Is it you or is it him? Hey, maybe you even took Carrie Underwood's advice and you said, Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) Take it. Grab a hold of that thing. I'll stand over here. I'll sit passenger. I'm riding shotgun with Jesus. I'm awesome, you know? But you installed a little brake pedal over there just in case you need to veto him. Goodness, it's so tempting. Here's another question. Are you delaying obedience to Jesus? Maybe you think, I'll just do that later. Maybe when I get a little older, I'll take that one seriously, Jesus. Hey, after I get settled in my career, oh, wait, wait, after I get settled with the family, oh, wait, 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 after I have kids, oh, wait, wait, after those kids graduate and leave my house, oh, wait, wait, after I have grandkids, then, you see where this goes? Jesus just said that you can't have him and have delayed obedience, whether it's three hours or 30 years. It's either full surrender or no surrender. He says, follow me to this man, but he sets the price. It's non-negotiable. I think so many of us keep believing that like one day we're going to follow Jesus. One day we're just going to start counting the cost and just, you know, we're going to start waking up and taking this thing more seriously. We'll just start tomorrow, Jesus. Here's the funny thing. You said that yesterday. You said that yesterday about today. You said that last year, 2020, can't wait for 21. We're six months in, how you doing? You said that last year about this year, okay? Following Jesus is not a tomorrow thing. And by the way, it's not a yesterday thing. Following Jesus is about today. It's a today thing. You wanna know the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus? Here's the cost, it's as simple as I can make it. The cost to follow Jesus is today, Every part of today is his. That's the cost. Well, Jesus, is that your best price? That's the best price he's got. Complete obedience to him today. And guess what tomorrow is? It's today. Again. It's Groundhog day, every single day. Obedience to Jesus it seems that in this passage, shallow Christians are not accepted by Jesus as disciples. Right? Until they've counted the cost, until they've deepened their commitment. I mean, if you read this, and I read this, like these two potential followers of Christ, these two potential disciples of Jesus, they may be more sincere than many people who sit in churches every Sunday. Right? Like they they seem to have it, kind of put together and yet Jesus sends them away. It's a startling demand for a deeper surrender to him. Way more startling than just, hey, give your life to Jesus. He's gonna make everything great. This is how Jesus calls people to follow him. He doesn't mince his words. He says, take up your cross. Hate your father and your mother. Renounce everything. Sell it all and follow me. It's almost like he wanted to turn them away, which of course he didn't, but I think he's just so serious about saying, This is the cost of following me. He wants us to count the cost, to think about what we're committing to, to think about what he's asking, and not attempt to use Jesus as some sort of get out of hell free card as some sort of genie in a bottle that we just rub anytime we need something. Jesus, help me with this. (sighs) So this is what I want us to do as we close up, okay? I want you to carefully count the cost. See, there's there's this thinking, it's shown up in the church all over the place where it, it goes like this, Jesus, I'll follow you if. Yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you if you make me successful. Jesus, I'll follow you if you make me happy. Jesus, I'll follow you if I'm wealthy. I'll follow you if you give me the desires of my heart. But that's what I've been saying this whole sermon. That's like saying, is that your best price, Jesus? Jesus, I'll follow you if, if that if is, is that your best price? Is that, can we negotiate a bit here, Jesus? This passage is telling us that Jesus will not be a means to an end. He must be the end. He must be the finish line. He must be the prize. He must be your utmost desire. It's Jesus and Jesus alone are, or nothing. That's the call of discipleship here. So uh, here's how I'll end it with this illustration. I officiate lots of weddings for, for people in this church, other people. I've done some years. I've done some years in here. Okay, so I've done weddings for you. Uh, here's what always happens after the wedding ceremony. Best part, my part, ceremony. Awesome. After that, here's what happens. Okay? While people are like munching on appetizers, they're waiting for dinner, they're waiting for cake, they're waiting for dancing, they're waiting for all this stuff, uh, there's always like 12 hours of photos. Just, I don't know, every wedding. If you're getting married soon, just <laughs> shorten it, okay? You're not gonna care. 30 minutes, get it over with and get some steak. Like, I'm just ready for it, okay? But, but here's what happens at, during the photos, because I'm standing there watching this, munching on my appetizer too. Uh, they, they get the bride set up. Wherever they're, you know, it's, oh, that background, great. They get the bride set up and she's like sitting... They get her all set. They get the train all laid out, right? They adjust the flowers. Sometimes they adjust her makeup because she cried during my ceremony, okay? Uh, but whatever. And, and, and so they get her set. They get the bride all set. Then they bring in the groom and they bring in the parents. Then they bring in the wedding party and, and they position them all around the bride. They position them all around this woman. And, and often you'll hear the photographer say things like, hey, uh, best man, can you move a little bit to the right? Can we get the best man to the right? Hey, can we get grandma a little bit tighter in there? No, Uncle Ted, Uncle Ted, get out of this one. You can't creep on every photo. Get out. If you're, if you're Ted, sorry, but, but get out Ted, right? Like, and what he's saying, what the photographer is saying in that is you are all going to revolve around the bride. The bride's not going to pivot and adjust for you. You're going to pivot and adjust for her. And I just want to encourage some of us today that the price of following Jesus is, is not asking God to revolve around every aspect of my life. But instead, it's, it's putting Christ in the center and, and me starting to orbit my life around his. I'm saying, God, I want to position myself in relation to you, not the other way. It's the price of following. It's the price of discipleship. And just like he did 2,000 years ago, Jesus still chooses. He picks his disciples. You don't choose him, he chooses you. And if you're here today and you want to follow him, that invitation is live. It stands, but the cost, it's everything. Salvation is free, but it is not cheap. Following Jesus isn't just a part of your life. Listen, it has to be your whole life. So G.K. Chesterton famously said it like this. Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. Yeah, it's costly. But let's be clear, the cost of non-discipleship is as much, if not more. Like we shouldn't be asking, God, is that your best price? We should really be asking yourself: Can I afford not to follow? Let's pray together. Yeah, Father, um, thanks for these verses. These are the hard verses, the the tricky verses, the doesn't give me warm, fuzzy feeling verses, and and yet they're here, Lord. They're here, and they seem to be on repeat through the Gospels. That, that the call to follow you is extreme. It is high. It is costly. It is all-encompassing. And God, we thank you for this because, for so many of us, we we find the kind of weak, lackluster, half-hearted devotion to you un- distasteful. We've seen it play out in others, and we and we feel it, and, and it just left a bad taste in our mouth and yet when we read the gospels we see that your call is for for complete revolution for complete obedience for complete surrender not perfectly lord but but progressively every day saying the cost is today i'm paying it the cost is today i'm paying it i'll pay whatever the cost is to follow jesus Lord, help us to do this. As we as we, as a church, we want to make disciples. We want to go deeper together. Lord, the way to depth is not to ask, is that your best price? It's not to negotiate. It's not to haggle, but it's to say, whatever the price, it's worth it if I have Jesus. Help us, Lord, in this. Holy Spirit, empower us. It would be impossible without you residing in our hearts for us to ever consider complete devotion to you help us with this, we pray. In the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit.